Yeah, some assembly required. <laughs> Lord, we just pray that you would just anoint their ears and anoint their eyes and anoint my mouth. That would be good. Amen. All right. That's good right there. Um, how many of you were here last time we did this? Okay, well, um, some of this is going to be a little bit of repeat. And uh, Bill was in this morning, wasn't he? And uh, he's amazing. And we've been uh, together a lot of years. And uh, I get the revelation and he writes it and gets credit for it. <laughs> it's obviously not true. I was just, um, I thought that I'd just start a little bit for some of you that maybe are, um, how many of you have never actually published a book with anyone? Oh, good. So, <laughs> woo, I feel so good. Like, what do I have to say? Last year, Pam's like, would you like to speak at the writing conference? I'm like, I can't even spell. <laughs> you know it's bad, you know, when spell check goes, say what? <laughs> One thing I noticed about spell check, like if you get the first letter wrong, you suck. It ain't going to work. <laughs> you don't have any idea what you're talking about if you get the first letter wrong. So, um, I just thought I'd tell you, like, uh, a little bit of my journey and then tell you a little bit about uh, how I write and give you uh, some of my opinion about writing a little bit. I don't know where my book went. Um, but uh, years ago, I started getting all this... Uh, I have my book here someplace and I'll find it in a minute. Someone stole it. Uh, someone stole my book, you know. It's kind of a compliment. Like, for years I couldn't give them away. Oh, no, I have my own someplace. Yeah, that's okay. I might use yours in a minute. Um, so for years, you know, I, I just, I, I kept getting all this, these words about writing. And the truth is, I really, like, um, I graduated from high school. And when I graduated from high school, I only read on the third grade level. And I was actually in special reading classes all the way through high school. That's the truth. And so I couldn't read. I learned to read reading the uh, King James Bible. So, <laughs> yeah, that's the first book I had ever read is the King James Bible in 1973. And, and so um, when I started to, when, you know, when I, um, when I, when I received Christ, I, I, you know, I started to read and, I, and probably never really even liked to, to read till I was in my 40s. And I started just having this passion for reading and I've never read uh, a fiction book in my life. I don't really like fiction. But if you write fiction, it's great. Like C.S. Lewis, I like all his nonfiction stuff, but I can't get into fiction stuff. You know, if, you're, if I want to do that, then I'll watch a movie. <laughs> or listen to the news. <laughs> so... Um, so anyway, so I started having all this, uh, I started getting these prophetic words that you're a writer, you're a writer, you're a writer, and I'm like, this is going to be very interesting. See, the other problem is I can't type. So if you can't spell and you can't type, you're pretty well like in the Stone Age. So um, I started having all this stuff about writing books, and I, I felt like I was supposed to write, so I got this Dragon software. Do you know what Dragon software is? Yeah. It's kind of like this demonized way to like interact with your computer. Like you talk and it spells, yeah, it's kind of cool. 
And so I, um, so I started writing um, through this Dragon software because literally I could not, I couldn't type and I couldn't spell. And, and uh, it took me about four months to get my Dragon software, to, you know, cast the evil spirit out of it. So it actually, <laughs> when I said something, it actually wrote the right word down and stuff. And, and so we did that for, uh, so I, I wrote for about a year on just some stuff the Lord was giving me. And finally, I had about maybe 100 pages. And a friend of mine is a, a publisher of children's books, actually children's curriculum. And, she's a, and she said, ah, you know, I would love to read your stuff. And so I sent her the manuscript. Uh, like I said, I was about maybe halfway done. I sent her the manuscript, and it, she didn't, like, I sent it through email. And she didn't respond for like two weeks. And so I'm like, huh, I wonder what's going on. So I wrote her one day and I said, hey, I sent you the manuscript. I'm just wondering if you had any time to read it. And she wrote back and she said, yeah, I read your manuscript. <laughs> and like, I'm like, okay. So I wrote back, well, what would you think? Which the fact that she didn't say what she thought was probably like not, not encouraging. So she wrote back and she said, I think you have some really good revelation, but basically she said this in a really nice way, but you basically don't know how to write. And uh, she said, you have great revelation, but you basically don't know how to write. And so I was like, ah. And it crushed me. Like when I opened the email, I literally cried. And I cried for a week. I had worked, I had probably 150 hours in those 100 pages. Just, you know, the first time you ever write anything. you guys who are pushing through that, you know what I'm talking about. And so um, I didn't touch it for a year. I didn't write another word for a year. And I, I, literally I cried a lot because I felt like, I felt like, I knew, that, uh, I knew that it needed editing and I knew it needed work. I wasn't expecting her to go, oh, this is amazing, your first time you ever write anything. I was expecting her to go, this is some really good writing and you need some help. That's what I was expecting here. But what I heard is, you basically don't know how to write, but you have great revelation. That's what she said. I'm just telling what she said. That's in a nicer way. Took her two pages to say, you suck, but you're smart. <laughs> and so, um, so then, sorry. So, uh, so that went on for a year. I didn't, I didn't write anything for a year. And, and uh, one day we were in, we had a school ministry retreat. And we were just kind of interacting with some of the students. And I asked one of the students what she did. And she said, oh, I, I have a master's degree in literature. And I'm a writer. And I said, oh, that's awesome. And she said, what do you do? I said, well, I, I, you know, I, I've written a little bit. And she said, really, I'd like to read it. And I'm like, oh, I don't think, <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I could do this again. <laughs> I had to go through a deliverance session the last time I let someone who knew something about literature read my stuff. And I, she goes, no, really, I'd like to read it. And I said, oh. I had my computer there, and it happened to have, it had my book on it. So I said, okay. And literally, I, I think back this time, like, literally when I opened the page, my hands were sweaty and my head was sweaty. And so she picks up the first chapter, and she's reading it. And I'm like, <laughs> like it's like when we had our first child. It wasn't, well, it was a little bit more dramatic than that, but. So, which one, yeah. 
So she's, she's over in the corner. She takes the computer, and she's over in the corner reading it. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be really tough. And she comes back like about 15 minutes later. She had read one chapter, and she said, I don't, this is excellent. She said, I don't know who told you that this wasn't good, but this is really good. I said, come on. She said, no, no, I'm telling you the truth. This is really good. I said, it's really rough. She goes, if this is rough, this is good rough, what she said to me. And I said, really? She said, yeah, you have a real gift for this one. I'm gonna, can I read some more of the chapters? I said, yeah, keep reading, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you kidding me? I'm going to call my mother. <laughs> so she read the whole thing, and she said, I'd really like to help you um, finish your book. And I'm like, really? She said, yeah. So... So she did, so that was Vanessa. Is Vanessa here? Heard you were here. Yeah, stand up, Vanessa. This is Vanessa right here. Just remembered you were here. And so, um, so Vanessa believed in me, and that was really cool. And uh, she encouraged me. And so Vanessa and a gal named Allison, they became my first editors. And I, I wrote, and, and they gave me feedback. And at first, the feedback was really kind, which was really good. <laughs> what you need in a first editor is somebody who won't tell you the truth. He'll just fix your stop. <laughs> then the second editor, you need somebody who will like, really look at your stuff and tell you the truth like, before someone else reads it. You know what I mean? Like Someone needs to tell you, like, that's really not true, what you just wrote there. So, so um, that's kind of how I got started in... And then what happened was I got the book done, pretty much done, like Vanessa and Allison edited it, and, and it was pretty much done. And, and Bill had already uh, um, published a book with Destiny Publishing, and Don Milam, who you got to hear uh, yesterday. Did you spoke yet today? Yesterday. Yeah. Isn't Don amazing? So Don Milam um, uh, was coming to meet with Bill, and Bill said, hey, I got you a chance to meet with Don Milam. And I said, who's that? He says, he's the publisher. He's the representative for the publisher. And, uh, and you're going to spend an hour with him. I'm like, whoo, this is going to be awesome. And so I couldn't wait, you know. And so Don comes in my office. I don't know if he remembers this. He comes in my office. And when he, this is going to be the truth. From my perspective. which is not always accurate for sure. So I have this hour with Don Milam, and I'm not kidding you, I am like, I actually had a ministry trip that I was supposed to be on, and when I found out that Don was coming, I canceled the ministry trip because I, I was so like, I could possibly get published. So, so Don walks in my office, and I don't know what happened, but I end up with this anxiety attack. I have an anxiety attack when he walks into my office. You know what an anxiety attack is? Like, you can't even think. And it's like, you know, I'm not the brightest person in the world, but when my mind turns off, I'm like stupid. <laughs> and so he comes in and sits down, and I, and I have this whole presentation. Like, I have spent the whole night thinking about what I'm going to say and, you know, and, and all that. So he comes in, he sits down, and my mouth is so dry, I literally cannot think, and I cannot talk. <laughs> And, and, and I have my manuscript right there, and I'm, I just, I'm shaking, and I'm like, it's not me. Like, I'm not afraid of people. And so Don, I mean, he's, he's a great people person. He's sitting there. I don't know what he was thinking, but, you know, he probably thought, boy, this guy isn't very friendly. And, and <laughs> I can't think. And so he's telling me 
about how many manuscripts they get in the process. He's telling me about the process and how they get manuscripts. And he's probably waiting for me to say something, but I literally cannot think. And, he's, and so, you know, and every time he pauses, he's kind of waiting for me to make a comment. I'm like, mm-hmm. That's good. I never knew that before. That's good information. And uh, we're going through this thing. I can still remember, like, reliving the, you know, Vietnam vet syndrome or whatever you call it. So, you know, and so I'm sure he's waiting for me to kind of like take the conversation and tell him about my book and stuff. And I, I told him a little bit, I just could not think of anything to say. And so, he, and then he starts telling me, well, you know, basically like don't expect to get published the first time because we get all these manuscripts and obviously we have to narrow it down to a few. And I'm like, yeah, I get that and stuff. And so, you know, he kind of stands up. I don't remember if you remember this, but he kind of stands up as, because he's going to leave because, and there's like, because I'm not really saying anything. And I said, could I read you my chapter? He's like, oh, yeah. Like, he's probably like, the man can speak. All right. I don't know how, if it felt this dramatic on your side, but this is what I was going through. And so he sits back down, and I read the first chapter to him, or a portion of the first chapter to him. And when I got done, he goes, that is really good. We'll publish that. That's what he said. We'll publish that. I'm just like that. After he told me how hard it is to get published, he's like, we'll publish that. I'm like, I'm calling my mama for sure now. <laughs> and, uh, how many of you have any idea what I'm talking about? It's like, you know, when you, um, when you write something, it, it becomes like, a, it's a piece of you. You know what I mean? It's a piece of you. And when you show it to somebody, I don't, it's hard to explain, but you probably know what I mean. It's like, you know it's not perfect, but you, you don't want someone to go, that's an ugly kid that you have right there. <laughs> Dude, that thing has a big head, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, you want to kind of like go, yeah, that kid's got potential, you know? You don't want them to use words like ugly, like unique. <laughs> unique is a salesman's way of saying, that's ugly. <laughs> so we kind of went through that. And, and so, we've, you know, that was, so I got my first book published, and it's done really well. And, and I'm really proud of it. And we've like, you know, revised it. And, and uh, that's kind of like my beginning. You know, when you meet Bill, and I said this last year, you kind of expect that someone that's a fifth generation pastor on one side and a sixth generation pastor on the other side, you expect him to like be someone to do something special. So when Bill writes books and people buy them, people are like, of course. <laughs> He's amazing. When I do something, people are like, you're kidding. <laughs> and people do stuff like this. If he can do it, we can do it. Serious. People wrote, when Bill wrote books, no one on our team thought they could write books. After I wrote books, our whole team's writing books right now. <laughs> Dude, if that guy can get published, we can get published. So I'm a faith builder in a negative way on our team.
Um, I just want to uh, talk a little bit about like writing. Now, you know, I've had no professional training, so people before me could have said this. I didn't get that from them because I've never sat in a writing seminar, nor have I ever read a book on writing. And I don't because it's too discouraging. Because <laughs> I don't want someone to tell me that the way I do it is all wrong. <laughs> you can type like this. <laughs> And don't tell me it doesn't work. <laughs> One of the funniest stories, Smith, Smith Wigglesworth couldn't spell. And he wrote to his friend, you've probably heard the story, I've told it a few times. And he wrote a letter to his friend, and his friend wrote back and said, Smith, do you realize that you spelled one word five different ways? <laughs> and he wrote back and he said, small-minded man, I can only think of one way to spell something. <laughs> so, so this is Chris's way of writing, which if Don told you anything different or anyone else that has an education, you just take this and throw it away and just do what they told you to do. But um, I, I, don't, I don't know um, if everyone has the same struggle, but the first paragraph is a killer. Like thinking about, I, I have all this stuff going on in my mind, and I like, when I sit down, um, what I've learned is that if I can get through the first, first paragraph, I can write a book. <laughs> because um, the first paragraph, usually I throw it away. Like I'll write it, and, and then the next day I don't like it, but it gets me going. And so um, what I want to say is like a lot of people, there's a difference between writing under the anointing and writing with your gift. Um, a lot of people want to wait for the anointing to be on them to write. And what I found is, is that if you will write with your gift, that oftentimes the anointing will come. But if you wait for the anointing, you won't write very much. And so what I find is that I have a gift for writing. I Honestly, joking aside, I can't spell. And that is true. I'm getting better. And I really have learned to type, but it's, it isn't traditional. <laughs> It's more than two fingers. I've decided that you should use them all, but some of them I let rest for times while I use others. <laughs> when you're writing something long, it's good. But I can kind of, I can kind of type now, and my spelling's gotten gotten better since I've written five books. It's it's helped some. Um, but I find that uh, there are times when I really feel God's anointing, and this may not work for anyone else, but. Um, when I don't feel God's anointing, I just, I'll just write under, with my gift. And I feel like that the Lord's given me a gift to write. And I'll, and I'll write and I'll edit a lot. A lot of times what, ha what happens with me, if I get a few pages written, um, just to get started in the morning, I'll sit down. I don't feel like being there. It's funny because I love to write, but it's the hardest thing to do is to start. So I'll sit down in the morning. I really don't feel like um, writing too much when I start. And I'll just, um, I'll just read over what I've done already, and I'll start editing. And when I do that, a lot of times, uh, a lot of times the flows start coming. And if I get into a flow, if I, if I get under the anointing, does everyone know what I mean by anointing? Like, um, when you're writing with your gift, you're thinking a lot, 
and you're, you're processing, and most of your processes aren't spontaneous. They're more coming from your, your, from your gift, from your intellect, and, and that's good. When you get under the anointing, for me, it's almost like, this is exaggerating, but it's like the Holy Spirit takes you over, and you're not even sure what you're going to write in the next line, but it's going to be amazing. And it starts to flow. And just for me, if I find those places where that happens, I will tend to start a new chapter and let that, when I'm under the anointing, let that be the foundation for a chapter because I know that that doesn't happen every time I write. It doesn't work every time for me. And you could be totally different. Like, I'm just telling you how it works for me. If I, if I have the privilege and pleasure of his anointing being on me, I will try to not edit. Like, I'm not going to edit right now because this doesn't happen very often. And I'll just start writing whatever it is the Lord gives me to write. And oftentimes that will become a totally different chapter or a totally different process to the chapter I'm writing. And I try not to edit when I'm under the anointing because for me it could last an hour or it could last a whole day. And sometimes the next morning I could get up and tap into it again. But sometimes if I'm under that, like Kathy has learned, because I've been writing for about three years, that if I'm under that, I don't want to be bothered and I want to cancel meetings and I want to stay there because that's a privilege to be under that, that sense. Yeah. And when I write under the anointing, I write things I've never heard before. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying someone else hasn't said them. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying I've never heard them before. Right. Yeah. And I write in a way that I, don't, I know I can't do that. Mm-hmm. When I write under the gift, I know it's a gift the Lord gave me, and I can reproduce that over and over and over again. He gave me that gift, and the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, but the anointing ebbs and flows with the presence of God. Right. Does that make sense? The gifts and callings are irrevocable. So when I write under the gift that the Lord's given me, I can repeat that. I can repeat it over and over. But when I'm under the anointing that comes on me, it's like I can't repeat that. That's something he does. And so um, I don't know if that helps anyone or if anyone else has that happen to them. Um, A couple of practical things that really help me is, um, is having a deadline. And one of the things that publishers do for you is they give you a deadline. And some people hate deadlines, but for me, it really helps because I'm the guy that stays up all night doing his homework the night before it's due when the teacher gave you two months to do it. <laughs> so when I have a deadline, I, I work really hard to meet it. And there's something about, um, there's something about you can have a mission and a vision, but um, until you have a goal, you know, a mission is the what, I mean, in the why, start over, the mission is the why, the vision is the what, but the, a goal is the win. And until you have a win, usually you have a pipe dream. So, you know, if you're, even, if you're not getting, even if you're not published or you've never been published or even maybe you won't be published, there's something about giving yourself a deadline, like you want this to be done at a certain time, and then you start writing to meet that deadline. Maybe that doesn't help anyone else. It totally helped me. It took me, to write 100 pages, I, I spent over uh, more than a year, probably, yeah, it was probably really closer to 18 months, if I'm really being honest, because some of the stuff I wrote in little pieces, and I just pulled it in. So, and then when I got a deadline, I wrote, I finished the book, and then we edited the book together, I think it was about four or five months. And so, you know, definitely a huge difference when you're writing towards a deadline. I think someone probably already said this. But figure out what it is you're trying to say. Like, what is it that you, who are you writing to? Like, did anyone say that already? Okay. 
Okay, well, like, um, one of the things that I learned, I, I, I learned this from Don, um, he, by the questions he asked, it's like, who are you writing to? Like, who is your audience? Because the truth is, is that you won't please everybody. And um, the goal is to please somebody. And <laughs> My goal is to please enough somebody that someday I'll write a bestseller. But it's like, who, who are you writing to? Like, who's your audience? And um, uh, one, of the things that, uh, one of the things that's happened in my own life, this is kind of my own life message, is that I believe that um, who you're leading, who's leading, um, and the season you're leading them in determines how you lead. So let me say this again. Who you're leading, who's leading, in other words, who are you, who are they, and what season are you leading them in determines how you're leading. And here's my point, and I know this isn't about leadership, but it is about writing to people and guiding them, hopefully, into some experience. Um, in my opinion, if whatever you misdiagnose, you'll mistreat. And one of the things I do with leaders, I do a lot of leadership um, training and seminars, is I say the, the three greatest questions that you have to ask yourself is this. Who are you? Who are the people you're leading? And what season are you leading them in? Um, oftentimes, I read books that, uh, that speak down to me. The revelation's good, but they make me feel stupid because the writer has determined that I'm an idiot. One of the, my first book, if uh, any of you have had a chance to read it, is about the fact that we are no longer sinners but saints. A sinner means that you're prone to wickedness. A saint means you're prone to righteousness. And the, and the thesis of the book is that you have a new nature, and it's no longer your nature to do evil. What I'm getting at is this. I watch leaders take offerings where they assume their people don't want to give. And as soon as you make that assumption, you move into manipulation because you're trying to get people to do what you believe they don't want to do. I'm using it as an example. When we take an offering, we assume that our people are generous because it's their nature to be like God. They've received the divine nature. So when I stand up in an offering, the only thing I want our people to know is what they're giving to so that they can make a wise decision about whether or not they're supposed to give. I'm not trying to beat them or manipulate them, or tell them the 48 reasons of things that are going to happen to them if they do or don't give, because I've already made an assumption that they have great nature, and all they need is good information to decide whether or not they're supposed to give. Sometimes people who are broke need um, some encouragement that God does take care of them when they give beyond their ability, but that's not like, you know, we all need that, right? I guess I'm saying that as an example of make sure that you honor the people that you write to. Make sure that when you're writing to them, that you're writing to someone you like. That you're writing to a friend that you respect. Am I making any sense? And make sure that you're writing in a way that you give people the freedom to disagree with you that you don't write in a way 
that your way is the, your opinion is the only opinion or else here's 13 reasons why you're stupid. I read some really good books that have some really good revelation and the more you read it, let's put it this way, it, it hurts to read the book. Because when you get done reading it, you feel like the author thinks you're an idiot if you don't believe these things. But what happens when I write to someone I like is that I share what I feel like is revelation. And if I do it in an honorable way, a person may be able to pick up 20 of my points and agree with them and not be rejected by the two or three things they don't agree with because I wrote honorably and I gave them room to disagree. Are you with me? If I write dogmatically, then the person picks up on my, first, on my two or three points they don't agree with and then won't listen to anything else I have to say because you only have as much influence in people's lives as they have value for you. And if you say to someone through your writing, I don't value you, they're not going to have much value for you either. Did you hear what I said? And so if we write to gain value, if we write to people to gain value, then when people find something they don't agree with, they can process it through favor, and maybe they come to a place where they do agree with you, or at least they process it and go, well, I don't agree with that, but these other points they made are excellent. But if you write with the barb, then people don't, they, they read, if they read you, they read you to figure out ways to not agree with you. You know, some of my very best friends that aren't on our team, I have very strong disagreements with. I just did some conferences in the last three or four months that people I have very close relationship with, some of their very strong statements I don't agree with, but I love them. And even though I don't agree with maybe one main part of their message, I embrace them as a person because of who they are and because of our relationship. Does that make sense? So I think it's important for us to write in a way that's, that's honorable. Um, I don't know um, how you keep track of your information, and so I'll just tell you a little bit about how I do that. Like, I keep a journal with me. In fact, here's my journal right here. And uh, actually, I'm, what I'm sharing with you, I've just been carrying my journal around waiting for something to say. And when I get something, I just write it down. And, and it, it, you know, I know, like, I, you know, I'm a prophetic guy, so my stuff comes spontaneously. Some of you are more teacher-oriented, so you study, 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 and that's how you get your information. For me, I can be walking down the street, and all of a sudden, God decides to give me a book. And it's really gotten frustrating, because by the time I get home, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> so I keep my journal always with me, everywhere I go. Um, the only place I don't take is, is the basketball, but if I... If I, if I can't get to my journal in five minutes, I'm dead because the Lord gives me stuff at odd moments. I'll, lots of times I'll be out in my wood shop and I'll just be out there just measuring and building a project and all of a sudden the Lord will give me like this five minute whole thing that's like five chapters. And I got to stop and run in and write down the gist of it because I'll forget it. So um, I keep this notebook by my bed because I get a lot of stuff in dreams, or sometimes I'll wake up and the Lord will be talking to me. So I don't know what works for you, but I would encourage you to, that there, sometimes your greatest treasures come at the most inconvenient times. Yeah. A, lot of thing, a lot of times what happens to me too is, I'll be in a meeting with people, 
like um, sometimes our leaders are just in a meeting with someone and we'll be interacting and all of a sudden the anointing comes on me for revelation and we'll start interacting and I'm saying things to them. I'm like, I've never heard that before. I know it's the Lord. And as soon as they walk out of the room, even if I have another meeting, I'll grab my notebook and I'll write down the gist of it. I'll write down the five or six main points, even if it's just two or three words so that, because sometimes I'll have someone come in and write after them, and I just need to get something that will jog my memory, and I'll be like, da-da-da-da, and I'll write that down, and then when I get home, or next time I have a chance, I'll like unpack it. Does that make sense? And, and so um, maybe that's really obvious. Um, let's see. Um, uh, one of the things that I've struggled with in my life is um, I exaggerate. <laughs> I exaggerate to make a point. Um, I wouldn't call what I do lying. <laughs> um, I grew up in a house um, where I had two stepfathers who didn't like me. And so I always felt like that they didn't care about what I said and so I, f I felt pressure a lot to make the story more dramatic so that they would hear me. Because if I just said, hey, I think the, the roof leaks, I don't think they're going to do anything about that. I always felt powerless. I always grew up in a world where I never felt powerful. And so um, consequently, um, I've, I've learned to have integrity in my words um, after, I grew up, after my growing up days. I've got to tell you that I don't want to be like, I don't, I don't want to exaggerate this. I never was a liar. But I would amplify things that didn't deserve to be amplified just so I could be heard. Um, I want to encourage you that once you put something down in a book and people read it, you don't have time to retract it. So you have to make sure that what you're saying, you actually know what you're talking about. And uh, I have uh, one of my editors, Allison, Who's, um, who uh, has edited my last couple of books. Allison's brutal. And I want to say that everybody needs an Allison. Like, I think that you should have someone read your book who you fear won't agree with you. Because even if they're wrong, they will tell you where your holes are in your thinking. And so Allison, I just wrote a book on sexual purity. And Allison's a single gal, a single virgin who's like 28. So she has really strong opinions about sexual purity and how to keep it. So we had like arguments back and forth over email because she didn't agree with large portions of my book. And she would like, I'd get back, uh, I'd send her 10 pages and I'd get back 18 pages. <laughs> Eight of it in red. I don't believe that's true. That's a wrong assumption. I don't agree with that. I don't think that's what the Bible's saying there. It was brutal. It was brutal. And what happened is, is that I, you know, and I, I have a great relationship with Allison, and she loves my writing, and she believes in me. So it's easy to receive it now, because I know she loves my writing, and she believes in me. And she believes in my message, and she was one of my students. So I don't receive it like, ah, you don't like me. But what it, did, what it, what it does is it helps you to understand that, listen, this 28-year-old this virgin is going to read your book like this, and this is how she's going to process what you're saying. And she would say, is this what you're saying? I'm like, of course that's not what I'm saying. She says, well, that's what the words are. Yeah. Well, that's a really good point, isn't it? 
<laughs> and, um, and she would say, I think you exaggerated that point. And sometimes when you're trying to make, like, if you have a main point, like, you know, sometimes I do. <laughs> sometimes you so want people to get your point that you overemphasize the point, And then you put people on the defense because they can't hear it because the way you said it isn't really true. Do you know what I'm getting at? And so um, what I'm learning to do is uh, when, when I have a strong point, I make sure that I, that I make the point in a way that is uh, a strong and closes the doors to maybe some other ways of thinking, but isn't, um, isn't exaggerated and isn't dogmatic. I don't know if I wish I could give you a good example that nothing comes to my mind. So um, don't exaggerate when you write. Don't exaggerate anytime. But when you write, you're stuck with it. Like you said it, and people will read it. And, and you, uh, there are things in my first book I wish I wouldn't have said. Now, I like my book, but there are some things that are in that book. I, I don't think they're wrong. I just I wish I wouldn't have said them. Because uh, a few of my points have kept people from really agreeing with other stuff that I said. Um, a couple of more things. Um, I'm a storyteller. I like to tell stories. It's part of my style. And the struggle is, is that um, all of my stories have people names. And so when I wrote my first book, because it was about coming out of the bondage of a slave's mindset and moving into royalty, my slave's mindset came from my two stepfathers who raised me intentionally. They both know the Lord now. So I wrote about 10 pages about my interaction with my stepfathers. And when the manuscript was done, I, um, my mother kept saying, send me your book, send me your book. And I'm like, I found that right before I sent it to the publisher, I, ha I was like grieving over sending it to my mother. Yes. And I thought, well, I don't want my mom to get this book before the publisher gets the book and then it tells her story and, and my dad's story. So I finally sent it to my mom And she took, it took her about uh, a week to respond, which is not my mom. And so finally she calls me one day on a Saturday morning, and she's two, mi two minutes in the conversation, she's bawling her eyes out. So she said, um, I read your book. I said, did you like it? She said, yeah, I liked it. There, you told things in there that no one knows about our family. So I had to decide how important it was to expose my family for the sake of a point. And I had to decide how much I was going to tell the truth. It was the truth. There was no exaggeration at all in anything I've said. I mean, I didn't make it flowery. I mean, I actually played it down. Even in the 10 pages, I played it down. But so my, and so my mother called me back the next day. And she said, I talked to your father. My, she's still married to my second stepfather, who I have a great relationship with. And your father read the manuscript, and he said, it's your story, and you should tell the story. But I couldn't do it. So the day before I sent the manuscript out, I just felt like most of that, that stuff's all under the blood. So I narrowed it down to a paragraph. Like, this is enough for people to know that I had a tough childhood, and hello, a whole bunch of other people have too, so get over it. <laughs> and I took all the stuff, the stories and the stuff out, and there's still a couple in there. If you read the book, there's enough in there. And I, I, I revised it, and I sent that to my mom and my dad, and I said, how do you feel about that? She said, 
we feel really good about that. And I'm like, good, I, I, got, to say, I got to tell my story in a way that, um, that still made a point, but didn't grieve my family. So sometimes we have stories that we, that we want to tell that need to be told. I'm not telling you to not tell a, sto a story that's hard. I'm just saying that let's, be, let's make sure that in the name of making a point, what's that going to cost other people? And I think that's one reason why people write fiction, honestly, because I was thinking about this myself. Like, um, I'm writing a leadership book right now, and all of my stories, all of my stuff is about leaders that I've worked with. And I'm like, I wouldn't want a leader to sit down and read that and go, that's me. He didn't put my name on it, but he just told a story about when I was in his office. And I'm like, I don't know what you do about that. I'm like, you know. And some of those stories are like, this is the way to not lead, you know. Excuse me for a second. Okay, am I back on? Yeah. Um, I, I have just a few more minutes. I'm sorry I'm just talking so scattered. I don't know if this is helpful at all. Okay. Um, I saw somebody already caught this, and it was my main point, so I, I'll make it my like, non-main point. Right to change the world. Uh, right to change the world. Someone already said that because I saw someone's notes in the front. But <laughs> Who said that? Don said that? He's right. <laughs> Dude, it's about time you had a good point to make right there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, you know... Uh, what you think, you know, Jesus said it was finished and he just started. And in the book of Revelation, it says Jesus was crucified from the foundation of the world. We think Jesus was crucified somewhere around 2,000 years ago, but the Bible says he was actually crucified before he made the world. You think you got saved, what, however long ago, but Ephesians 1 says that you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. What's the point? If you think like the king, you'll start from the end and work backwards. I was laying on the prayer chapel floor five years ago, and the Lord said to me, he said, I want you to write your obituary and then work backwards so they won't have to lie about you at your funeral. <laughs> That's what he told me. <laughs> it's kind of funny. The James Dobson's son asked James, Dad, when you die, what do you want on your tombstone? He thought for a few minutes, and he said, he prayed. So he turned to his mom, who was in the kitchen. He said, Mom, what do you want on your tombstone when you die? She thought for a minute. She said, I told you I was sick. <laughs> Can you imagine walking through a graveyard and having told you I was sick over your tombstone? Um, a couple other um, things that I've done wrong is um, be original, and if you're quoting somebody else or using someone else's idea, give them credit for it. Yes. 
I just picked up a book and read this book the other day. I have been guilty of this too. Like, well, first of all, I, Bill was uh, doing a, um, some kind of a journal. You probably know what it is. It's some kind of devotional. It, and he said, I'm doing this devotional. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, it's going to kind of be like one-liners and it's going to have a little thing on it. I said, I've been keeping one-liners for 20 years. Would you like to have them? He said, yeah. I said, okay, I'll send them to you. So I sent him 25 pages of one-liners. And everything that uh, he said, I wrote BJ by it and so on and so forth. And then everything I said, I have KV by it. And then, you know, everyone else I quoted. And some people, I, I, don't, I couldn't remember who did it because I started so many years ago. He calls me up and he goes, why do you have KV by a whole bunch of my one-liners? <laughs> you know, sometimes you can think it was your idea because you've heard it so many times. And you're like, man, I had this amazing idea. You write it down and it's like, I said that first. I'm like... So it's, I just picked up a book and read it the other day, and it's like, this guy is someone who's kind of in our network, and he wrote us, the Lord gave him all his stuff, and I'm like, there was sent whole sentences that's my stuff. And I'm like, Kathy goes, honey, you said this. I said, I know, that sucks. <laughs> Took my stuff and never even said a thank you. So, you know, that's important if you use someone else's stuff, you know, that you give them credit for it. John Maxwell's great for that, isn't he? Maxwell will have, like, 150 quotes in there, and they'll all have people's names, and Joe said this, and Henry said that, and that's just honoring that you do that. Um, um, let's see, there was a couple of more things I want to... Okay. Um, maybe one, one other thing that I try to do, I, don't, I didn't start doing this on purpose, but the Lord talked to me about it, is He told me to write uh, in three dimensions. That I was to write for the spirit, I was to write for the soul, something that would touch the emotions, and I was to write to the intellect. So I was to write to the intellect, to the spirit, and, and to the soul. And so I try to write in three dimensions. And um, I, I try to read my, reread my manuscript to see if I've touched people in every dimension. Uh, some people think that... Um, the whole charismatic movement that we're a part of is um, emotionalism, but I want to challenge you. God's the most emotional guy in the Bible. And so uh, emotion is a part of God. And I like, to, uh, I, get, I like to write so that people can feel what I'm feeling. Not just think what I'm thinking. I like to write so they can feel what I'm feeling. And so oftentimes what happens is, is I have an experience with God or with a person or whatever, and when I'm telling the story, let's see if I can say this in words. When I'm telling the story, okay, for instance, I just told you the story about when Don came in my office. If I'm writing that, I want people to feel the tension. I want them to feel the tension I felt. So I want to describe it in a way that people are experiencing the same emotion when they're reading the manuscript, when they're reading the book. Does that make sense? Yes. And, I'll, and um, so I want to write, write things that inspire people emotionally, inspire, inspire people intellectually, and um, inspire people spiritually. Um, one of the things that um, we learned a while ago is we have, uh, is Teresa Dedman in here? She taught, though, didn't she? Has she taught a clinic? 
And she was sharing uh, in our staffing this about, I don't know, six months ago maybe, Steve, or so. Uh, uh, she's an artist. And so she was sharing that they got uh, their, their art, our, our school ministry students and Teresa and some of our leaders, art got shown in an art gallery um, in town here, which was a really big deal because, you know, yeah, it's a really big deal. And so she was all excited because they, uh, they got to, you know, put their art in there. Well, the day that, uh, of, the, of the show, a whole bunch of people came. This is obviously not a Christian thing, you know, mostly non-Christians coming to this place. And they had uh, one section was about as big as this, one section with our art in it. And the crazy thing is, is that when people would come in to see their art, they would have Holy Spirit manifestations. I'm talking about like Toronto style, Holy Spirit manifestations. And she was going, yeah, it was really weird. Like people would be walking, looking at our art and they go, oh, ah. <laughs> Yeah, at first we're just kind of like, oh, that's cool, yeah. And then, I, uh, and then I went home that night, and the Lord said, do you know why that happened? I said, no. And he said, if you, whatever you create out of an experience is an invitation for other people to have the same experience. He said, if you paint out of a gift, the people will experience the painting, but if you paint out of an experience, they'll experience the experience. I don't know if you got what I said. In other words, I'm not saying it's wrong to paint out of your gift. I'm not saying it's wrong to write out of your gift. I'm not making a distinction between good and bad. I'm making a distinction about availability. If you get under the anointing and while you're writing and and you allow yourself to be utilized by the Holy Spirit, I don't like to say used because I don't think God uses people. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to utilize you and you write under the anointing, I have a sense that when people read those words, that there's another dimension that happens to them that can't be explained with ink and paper. I don't know if that makes sense. And what's amazing is, is that uh, on my first book, I get a lot of feedback, which is mostly positive, which is encouraging. But um, uh, I have, I've had a lot of feedback about two or three different subjects in the royalty book which really the two or three different subjects are not the main points that I've got a lot of feedback, and they're not my best points. But what I've noticed is, is that they are the points that when I wrote under an experience. For instance, I wrote a little bit about deliverance in there. It wasn't a whole chapter about deliverance, but it was maybe a page. I don't remember how much. It was like a page. I had more people tell me that when they read that, that they got delivered. I mean, from, actually from evil spirits. Like they said, something left them. And I'm like, that's really interesting because when I wrote that, I could feel the Lord's anointing on that and I have been delivered myself from demonic spirits. And so when I wrote that little piece, which wasn't a major part of anything I wrote, people experienced what I experienced because I wrote it from an experience. Does that make sense? And there's something about writing in three dimensions. And... Um, a lot of times, uh, I like to write uh, to make people experience emotion a lot. Um, sometimes I write to a picture. Like, what will happen is I'll just be uh, writing, um, just like just writing, a lot of editing, writing, just thinking. And all of a sudden, a picture will come in my mind. No, it doesn't come with words. It's a picture. 
And the Lord will say, write what you see. Yes. Just write what you see. And, then the, and, and I, when I first started doing that, the Lord said, no, no, no. Paint beautiful pictures with your words. Because I was just writing what I saw, like, a, like you know, a witness at a car accident. And the Lord goes, no, no, no. No, no. Paint beautiful pictures. Paint this so that other people will see it when they read your words. So I had to back up and write it like I was painting it with a paintbrush. Does that make sense? Um, just a couple of more points. If, um, if, you, if I saw an accident, a car accident, two cars get in an accident, and I start describing the accident to you, and I say, yeah, and both cars had hubcaps. Now, you're going to expect that the hubcaps have something to do with the accident. <laughs> because you took t the reader's time to write something about the hubcaps when it also had headlights and windshield wipers. I can't tell you how many times I read people's manuscripts and they've got, both cars had hubcaps. I have anything to do with the story. I don't know if this helps anyone. Like, figure out what shouldn't be there. Like, this is one thing Allison tells me a lot. She said, you know all that stuff right there that you told? Yeah, it may be really important to you, but it doesn't mean anything to anyone else. Because those lines all have emotion attached because you live those, but no one else is going to live those. And lots of times, like, have you ever figured out that you write things that like when you read just what you wrote on a page, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, like the paragraph looks like an island sitting in the middle of a desert. It doesn't seem to make any sense with the thing you said before or the thing you said. There are, there are verses like that in the Bible. Yes. Some, some of those guys needed to take my class right here. <laughs> you ever read Isaiah? He'll be talking about something, all of a sudden he'll just like, like, what does that have to do with anything else you said? I know, it's the Lord, I get it. I, I'm not that stupid. I'm playing dumb right now. But when you write, it's kind of important that, that you say stuff that flows from thought to thought in a way that someone who ha doesn't have any idea what you're talking about actually can understand. Now, my first book I wrote all on islands. Like, I had a thousand islands. <laughs> and at first, Vanessa and Allison, they would write the, uh, I guess you call them bridges or something, right? They, they would write the bridges. And there were so many bridges, they was bigger than my book. <laughs> I think it was Vanessa one time sat me down. And she said, Chris, this is really good, but it's like, it's like choppy, like speed bumps. Like, I don't know if she said it that way, but she said it's choppy. Like, one thought doesn't flow to the next thought, and you need to, like, build bridges between them. And so Allison taught me, I mean, uh, Vanessa taught me how to make things flow from, um, and I, you probably heard all this already. The other, thing, um, uh, the other thing that I do is I write chapters, and my chapters are, like, my main key, key thoughts. And I don't worry about where they go first. Sometimes I know, like, this will be first or this will be last, but pretty much I just write. And then when I get all done, I arrange them. And then typically Allison doesn't like the way I arrange them, and she rearranges them. 
And then when we get all done, we write the bridges between the chapters, which makes it a lot easier than having to undo the bridge that you did from the last chapter to this chapter and so that they flow from thought to thought. And I, um, there, uh, there's about eight, eight reasons, uh, eight things to accomplish in writing. I'll just tell you these real quick. These are just my little list. The first one is to encourage people. You know, some of you aren't very revelatory. Like, you're, you don't have new things to say. And you're like, I can't write a book because I, I really don't have any. Like, everything that I would say has been said. But you know what? But sometimes people have never said it the way that you say it. Right. And sometimes people just need encouragement. They just need to be encouraged. And encouragement isn't revelatory. It's like, you're amazing. Well, I already know that. But I need someone else to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is really simple, dude. This is the way I am. This is deep. I know, everyone in this room is like, if he can write, I can write. <laughs> this, um, the second reason why um, uh, I write is to teach people. Um, I, that's probably, honestly, for me, is the main reason I write. I, I, I'm a teacher. I, lo I love to teach new concepts and stuff. So, but uh, I write to teach. Uh, the, the next reason is, I write to call people to action. Um, I just uh, wrote this book on purity. I started to tell you. I, I knew that I was supposed to write a book on purity for a long time, for probably seven years. The Lord gave me uh, a metaphor, a parable, a story that was really unique that I've told for many years. And every time I tell that story, oh, no, that's exaggerating. <laughs> that's what I do sometimes. Oftentimes when I tell that story, people will come up and say, you need to write a book about that. That's really good. You need to write a book. And I've heard it over and over and over. And so like, I know there's a book there. So um, I talked to Dawn and, and Destiny team about writing this book on purity. And they were like, yeah, well, okay, well, let's see what you do. And so I started writing a story. And then in the middle of the story, writing the story about purity, this sexual purity, um, I had a dream. And um, I had this dream. Should I tell you the dream? I just, I don't, I don't, just for the sake of time, I'll tell you the dream quickly. I'll give you the overview of the dream. I'm, uh, in this dream, and this dream was so real. Have you ever had a dream that was so real? When you wake up, you can't shake the emotion. I have this dream that is so real. I lean over with God, and he turns his head as if to listen to what is being said. And when he turns his head, I turn my head. And I don't, you know how weird dreams are. For some reason, I know that the dreams, I mean, about the screams are coming from aborted babies who were in the midst of being aborted. <laughs> That's really intense. And the Lord begins to weep, which was amazing to me because he wasn't angry in the dream. He was weeping. Thank you. <laughs> what is this, man? I must be going through menopause or something. <laughs> Having hot flashes and crying. Power surges. So the Lord begins to weep. And, is, and, in, the, and in the dream, he isn't, he isn't weeping just for the babies. He's weeping for the mothers. And, and his, his tears turn to rain. And it begins to rain over the earth. And then he turns to me and his eyes meet mine in the most intense moment I think I've ever had in a dream. And he says, you must write this book. 
you must write this book. And the next day, I'm writing, and he said to me, he whispers in my ear, this is to start a sexual revolution. It's easy to write when you feel like you're doing something like that. Because you like you have a sense that what you're doing is really important. I don't I don't know if this uh, if this is touching you the same way, but I'm writing this book. I was so like uh, normally like a book's like fifty thousand words or more, fifty five thousand words. I only wrote forty two thousand words, and I'm like I know this book's supposed to. I know that the publisher is going to want the book to be longer because. And I felt like the Lord said, "Do not add anything that I didn't tell you." I felt so like, don't do anything I didn't tell you to do in this book. I don't mean that it wasn't like that in other books too, but there was such an intensity like, I said you're done. You're done. Don't write anything else. And I'm like, okay. And I, and I told Kathy, for, for three days I tried to write more. And I told Kathy, I said, this book's too short, but it, it's, this is all I have. She said, I feel like you're supposed to be done. I said, that's what the Lord keeps telling me. You're done. <laughs> Don't write anymore. You're done. So there's something about writing with a sense that you're, what you're doing is going to change the world. I'll leave you with this. When I was, uh, I met Bill uh, 28 years ago, and I was leading a youth group in Weaverville, and Bill became our pastor. And I'll never forget the first thing he said to me. He said, you have an anointing to speak to thousands. And right now, you're speaking to 15, because my youth group was about 15 people. He said, if you plan and preach like you're speaking to thousands, someday, God will give you thousands. But if you speak to 15 and plan for 15, you will always be 15. I'll never forget that. And I would sit, actually, I like to lay down. I laid on the floor to prepare my message every week and I would picture myself preaching to stadiums full of young people and I would write and study like I was speaking to multitudes and my 15 would come there's something about you feeling like what you're doing could possibly be a catalyst to another reformation. If you write to it, who knows? Maybe someday you will be. Thank you very much.